You're listening to the She is Fierce radio show. She is Fierce connects women to each other and their dreams. You'll meet incredible women who all have one thing in common. They took a leap. They've got passion. They're on a mission. They're doing exciting and rewarding things, and they want to help you take your big leap. And now your host, She is Fierce founder, Kelly Youngs. Hi, everyone. This is Kelly Youngs, founder of She is Fierce and host of the She is Fierce podcast. Today, I am delighted to share the story of a woman I'm very lucky to call a friend. She is an inspiration to me and thousands of other women who watch her every morning on the local news at our North Florida news partner, News for Jacks. Of course, she is TV news anchor Melanie Lawson. In addition to starting work at 4.30 a.m. every morning, she is also the mom to two, a wife, and an active advocate for the American Heart Association, the Healthy Start Coalition, and the Children's Home Society. As you'll hear in Melanie's talk, she has had her fair share of family and work challenges along the way. But I know you will be inspired by her honest take on what it really means to be present in your work, your marriage, or motherhood, or whatever you're dealing with right now, even when it seems like your circumstances are working against you. You'll hear her story of how she has found her own sense of confidence at work and satisfaction at home, and the truth behind that glamorous TV anchor stereotype. I hope you enjoy listening to Melanie's story as much as I did. So my alarm goes off at three o'clock in the morning, really 2.50, but I snooze another 10 minutes. And when you walk into work at 3.30, there are people who've been there since midnight, and the first thing you say is, good morning, right? That's what you say. You say it a few times. So then 4.28, I'm on the news. Good morning, number four. Every half hour until 7 o'clock in the morning. Good morning. Good morning. And then at 9 o'clock, when a fresh batch of people come in, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to take on the day, what do they say? Good morning. It's interesting because when you're energetic and you're vibrant and you're perky and you're in the news, you are sentenced to mornings. It is my curse. It doesn't matter what I say, what I do. You're a morning person, but no one is a three o'clock in the morning person, right? I mean, really? Who wakes up perky at three o'clock? Not me. Um, So, you know, you, you realize that mornings, that's where you are. And what I've learned over the years is that my curse has become my blessing. It has become my gift. Because without mornings, I would not be able to be there when my kids get home from school. I would not be able to do half the things that I do in the community because I say yes to so much. Because in this business, who knows when you're getting off work. But the mornings allow me to say yes. And they allow me to be here at events like this and to talk with people and interact with people on a different level than if I didn't have the mornings. So my mornings are my gift and my blessing. So I want to talk about that tonight, those gifts. Those gifts that we naturally have, 
the ones that we think are curses, right? But they end up being gifts. And then the ones that kind of just kick you and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was a gift, but I'll take it. And you can't ignore it because it's just that gift that helps you be a better person, helps you contribute to society and helps you reach your full potential um, that you are set out to reach. You know, I would question people and interview people when I would be hanging out with my sister. She's seven years older than me, so whatever that meant for her. Um, and I'd say, so do you, to her friends, well, do you like your job? What do you do? How long did it take you to get that job? And then the question that always got the interesting response, are you happy? <laughs> and my sister said, are you interviewing my friends again? Yeah, that. so I feel like the qualities of journalism are what really landed me this career. Because I will admit, my boss is not in the room, thank goodness, I do not love the news. I don't love the car crashes and the horrible stories that we have to tell. It's depressing and it's sad. And I know that we have to tell it. Thank God I'm on mornings because I do get to smile and I do get to laugh. But those qualities that I have, that I naturally had, helped me to become a journalist and landed me in this really amazing career. Um, that I have right now. You know, it's interesting because when people tell you who you really are, it takes vulnerability to accept that you are better than you think you are. And for me, I was this young person who was trying to read the news like Diane Sawyer, be very serious. And instead, I just ended up being really, really loud. <laughs> Those, I was like, oh gosh. This is terrible. I wore terrible suits. I laughed at everyone's jokes. <laughs> and I, I was so uncomfortable in my skin. And then finally, a consultant was like, hey, come here. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he said, so who's this girl? I'm sure he called me a girl. Walking around the newsroom. She's smart. She's funny. She's got energy. She's electric. Who is she? And I was like, well, I don't know her because she works at Dillard's because you guys pay $7.50 an hour and I'm tired when I'm here. I don't know who you're talking about. And he's like, no, you, you. Can you be you that you are in this newsroom on television? And I had to think about that because he gave me permission to be myself. He told me that I was enough. And that was something I hadn't even thought about and hadn't even heard of before. So he held that mirror up for me and allowed me to see who I really was. And then I just decided, I'm okay. I can be me. I don't have to be Diane Sawyer. So I stopped laughing at the jokes, always getting more information, becoming more educated on topics, but realizing that I wasn't going to beat them at their own game, but I could play my own game. And they don't know what hit them because they have no idea what they have coming for them. So I really had to tap into those natural gifts that I first talked about, those things that just came organically, the things that I excelled in, that I won in. And those were the gifts that I had to tap into when this consultant told me that I was enough. And to do that, it does take vulnerability. I listened to a TED Talk. You should check it out, Brene Brown. And she talked about vulnerability and how when we are feeling emotions, good or bad, especially the bad ones that we medicated. We try to not feel the pain. So we do what we can. We drink, we ignore it. We move in another direction. We ignore that hurt. But when we do that, we medicate the hurt. We also medicate the good and the joy and the blessings and those good sticky feelings that we get inside because we just don't feel. So I want us all to consider allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. 
So when someone tells you that you are beautiful and that when you smile, you light up a room, you don't say, no, I don't. That's not me. I'm not even smiling. You say, thank you. You say, thank you. Instead of making excuses why you are not enough. And think about those things that are gifts to you. And for me, another one of my gifts was a strong, achieving mother. And I want to share the story of my mom because it is a painful one that has a beautiful ending. And it allowed me to rise up and realize that if she could do it, despite everything that she went through, that I could do anything as well. So my mom was basically abandoned by her mother because she was born out of wedlock. So her grandmother was like, just leave this baby. You go, you live your life and I'll raise her. Now my grandma didn't really want this responsibility. She didn't even really like my mom, had very little relationship with her. My mom lived in an orphanage for part of her life and with this grandmother who really didn't love her. So she put herself through college, got her master's degree, eventually got her doctorate, raised two strong, fierce women, and really showed us what it required to make it in this world. But it wasn't always easy, you can imagine. She was depressed for many years of my life. She didn't have a whole lot of confidence. And she, she mourned over my father who left her for another woman. A woman that I thought was great. I was like, you know, four years old and I can remember being in the car one time and I was like, oh, that's where she lives. And my sister's like, no. <laughs> she starts crying, no, we don't talk about her. And mom starts crying and I'm like, I just like her. She has nice pretty hair. <laughs> I'm like, what's the problem here? But growing up without a father and with a mom who was mourning that was very difficult. But when I was 12 years old, my mom remarried and that really kind of changed things in our lives because this was a man who really poured into our family and loved us. And he's more than just a stepfather. He treated us as one of his own. So that was a blessing for us and a gift for my mom and then for also our family as well. But something pretty remarkable happened for my mom. And it was basically a couple weeks before I was getting married. She gets a phone call from a woman who says, I'm your sister and we've been looking for you. So my mom calls and she's like, Melanie, this woman calls, she says she's my sister. And, and I say, call her back, <laughs> call her. So she calls and realizes that she has three sisters. She had two brothers, one that passed away. Her dad had just died, or her mom, I'm sorry, just died a couple of years ago. And they had been looking for her for years and they wanted to get to know her and they wanted to be able to have a life with her. And they're awesome. So you can imagine a woman who grew up with nobody and felt lost and still to this day questions whether or not they really like her. But then they like do things and they say things. They say, you know, she's the big sister. And when she says things, we listen and they mean it. It's beautiful. It's really, it's a, it is such a blessing. And for my mom, it was that turning point and still is that gives her her identity. So that strong achieving mother who taught me that you can accomplish anything and your story is not written until it is written and you just never know how your life can change. And now she's in her seventies enjoying all this family. We don't know what to do with all of them. <laughs> but growing up with a father who was a disconnected, wasn't really in my life because keep in mind he left when I was only three months old. 
was also a challenge that I had to overcome. And this story has an awesome ending, so bear with me on the front end. But my dad would pick us up with a beer in between his legs with my sister and I. He was clearly an alcoholic. And he wanted to have a little bit of a relationship with us, but just a little bit. Tuesday nights, it was Burger King, Wendy's, or McDonald's. So that's what we would do. And we would try to do every other Saturday, but my sister was seven years older than I. So when she became a teenager, she wanted very little to do with him. And he decided that that was okay. And so he kind of pulled out of my life as well. Now keep in mind, I'm, I'm young, I'm like seven years old. I want my dad, I want him in my life. And he kind of just pulled away. And he'd be there for the big stuff, but always missing out on the small things and the things that you just need a daddy for. So not having a father, you know what that does to you, right, ladies? It gives you boyfriend issues. <laughs> so every guy that was really nice to me, I would just push him away because I was like, this isn't right. He's supposed to go away. He's not supposed to be in my life. And so it gave me those issues that I just couldn't overcome. I was supposed to maybe jokingly, but a few times. And I'm like, I don't want you. That was too easy. So when I met my husband now of 10 years, I told him, yay. Yeah, he's handsome. I like him. <laughs> We've been married now for 10 years. So when I first met him very, very early on, I told him, don't let me push you away. And he's an investigative journalist. So he was like, oh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> he takes me on like a story. He's like, I got you. <laughs> you ain't going anywhere. I'm like, okay. So what was interesting about their relationship is he became the son that my dad never had. He had two girls, and now he had Tarek, who is free and wants to do what he wants to do, just like my dad. There are moments when sometimes he'll call me and be like, hey, Melanie. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you sound just like my father. And they had a connection and it was just, it was an amazing thing to see because it also allowed my dad into my life as well. So the same year of my wedding, a lot happened that year. So my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer and he had to get a thoracotomy, which meant they took out one side of his lung. So he had to learn how to walk again, to breathe, to eat, like everything, you know, it just really sent him to rock bottom. And so I had the opportunity because my boss was awesome. And she said, check this out and go take care of your dad. So for one month, I left Channel 4 and I went and took care of my dad. And even though he was not there for me when I was growing up, this was an opportunity for me to be there with him. And that was a big gift because it was the gift of understanding and reconciliation. And I got to know my dad, that he was stubborn, that he was meticulous. He was a little odd and unco very unconventional, but he was cool and we got to know each other. And it was such a gift for me because I just, I never had that opportunity before or a reason to even get to know him because then I, I didn't think I needed to. I thought it was okay. I now am about to marry the man of my dreams and I have friends and I'm fine. But what that taught me was I was not fine. I needed to mend that relationship with my dad. So about three, four months later, I got married and the cancer of my dad had metastasized, so it went into his liver. So he was very, very, very sick when he walked me down the aisle here um, with my stepdad and the two of them were there for me. And my dad, as sick as he was, I mean, he, he was a mountain, he's always thin, but a very tall man with a big personality. And I remember my 
my um, my husband's father shaved his beard. My sister made sure that he was taken care of during the wedding, but he was there and he walked me down the aisle and he was there for me when many times he wasn't. And I was there for him when he needed me and that was just a beautiful moment. So two weeks passed, I had my honeymoon. I came back on a Wednesday and my dad was admitted into hospice. So that Sunday, Tariq came in and he prayed with my father and I kissed him goodnight. I read him a book. And that evening, the woman who he left my mom for 33 years ago came in and told me that he had passed away. But you know what? It was okay. It was okay. Because I was given that gift of forgiveness, that gift of reconciliation that allowed me to know this man for someone who I never would have had the chance to do. So thank God I took that opportunity to get to know him because it really changed the trajectory of my life and my relationship with my father. So that was, that was a gift that I will say, that gift of transparency and reconciliation. So now I have my own family. <laughs> I have a three-year-old named Leah Grace and a four-year-old. Is he four? He's five. Yeah, he's five. He's, he's in kindergarten. You know you want to keep your babies babies, so they'll always be your babies. But they are off the chain. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, did I act like this? And my friends will say yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? <laughs> so they are just precocious, have a ton of questions. I got a note sent home from my daughter the other day. And the teacher wrote, we had to separate Leah because she would not stop talking. And then when I asked her to take her fingers out of the, her mouth, she told me that it was none of my business. <laughs> She's three. Now, you know, I was like, okay, we don't do that. We respect adults. But you know, I had to laugh at that. It's none of your business. She's basically, these are my fingers and my mouth. It's none of your business. There are other things that you need to worry about. Not me. I'm good. And she's three. And she's cute. There she is. And Noah, who is on 100 miles per hour. So he's full of questions, full of energy, keeps me extremely busy. So keep in mind, I'm waking up five days a week at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I'm spent. I work the morning show. I come home. I usually get about an hour nap. And then I go and pick kids up and have a full evening. So my husband... <laughs> who comes home at 7.30 every day after going into work at 10 o'clock in the morning, he gets very little of me. He walks in, and most days I'm like, what do you want? What, what could you possibly want? And it better not be sex, because I gave it to you clearly, because look at those two kids. I promise we've had it, and I'm good. But what I have learned is that in being that way, I created a wall in my marriage. And so I want to share something with you because I think women, we struggle because we try to do it all. Can we do it all? What's, who's missing? And the one thing that you do not want to let not get a part of you is your husband, someone in your life that you love, if it's that person that you're dating, if it's a good friend, not to build that wall between that person. I was fine on my side of the wall. I was fine. I, I was tired. 
I needed my time where I could watch 10 minutes of a show before I had to go to bed. I wanted to search Facebook and just go to bed. And so I, I had built this wall. And so we didn't talk anymore. We didn't connect anymore. And no one would have seen that because we had date night and we would go out. We'd go on vacations and it was a lot of fun. But the day-to-day was very difficult. And I will say my marriage was in crisis for a period of time. And this husband who I told, don't let me drive you away, (laughs) he got into action. I told him, I don't live a mediocre life, so why is my marriage below average? So we had to do something about it. So we got help. We recruited help. We went to some counseling, and we have decided to make our marriage a priority, no matter what that means. What that means, though, is he's always there. So I had to get used to that because I actually had to say, all right, come on, you can sit here while I scroll through Facebook and watch 10 minutes of the show that maybe you don't want to watch and you'll leave. (laughs) But he didn't. So now I am learning how to have him next to me and how to have him touch me. And we have come a long, long way because a year, last year, right about this time is when we were going through this. And it's good because he wanted this marriage, even probably more than I did at that point. And he made sure that he gave me every bit of himself because he knew that that's what I needed at the time. And that was a gift. That was a gift of second chances for sure. And I, and I really do want to share that because I think, you know, so many times we just have our marriage and it just falls by the wayside because we have so many other things. But if you can catch it, if you can catch it before it goes down a road that you can't turn back from, then you, it's amazing. I mean, it was, the other day we were having a bit of a discussion in the car and I said, you do this. And he's like, well, you do it too. And then I'm like, you don't get me. That's not what you should be saying to me right now. And so it goes into back and forth, back and forth. And then we had a wedding that night. So that was just very recent. And we're there. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I'm sorry. And I apologize. Because if I I don't like it, and then you tell me I do it to you, and you don't like it, I don't want to do that to you. So I am sorry. I am sorry. And then he hugged me. And then he looked at me and he said, well, maybe I need to change too. So he got it. It's leading by example. And I'm committed now. I am committed to making sure that my marriage works because I know I cannot do it without him. My children adore him. I adore him. Our family is beautiful. And the forces will work against that. And I refuse to let that happen. So when I came to Channel 4 10 years ago, my boss told me that I was a star. And when someone tells you you're a star, you kind of have to be a star, right? And I don't always feel like a star. I don't. There are moments, and not, not that far back, when I would spend commercial breaks talking myself up that I was enough, that I knew enough, that I was smart enough, that I could compete with the people that I'm sitting next to, that I could nail an interview with the governor because I am enough. So, okay, I want you all to take just five seconds and then think about your gifts. Those gifts that come natural, those ones that feel like a curse, but you ultimately realize that they are your blessing, they are your gift. And then the ones that are just right there that trip you up 
and force you to recognize them and acknowledge them. Think about the thing that blocks you from walking in that gift, the thing that gets in the way and makes it so that you aren't fully executing and living the life that you know is right for you and you know will be to the greater good and help others. And I want you just to whisper it. So whisper it or think about it. The thing that blocks you, is it fear? And what I want you to do with that is never speak it again. Let it go. Don't let it stall you anymore. And when you wake up and you walk out of here, you think about those gifts and you say them to yourself every day. You wake up with them in your spirit. You walk with them throughout the day and you close with them at night. And you have gratitude for having that opportunity to acknowledge your gift, develop them, use them, cultivate them, let them just pour over your life. Because when you look at it, everything is a gift, this whole life, all of our experiences, good or bad. But when we don't recognize them, that's where we miss out on everything. So I want you to have the confidence to dance and use those gifts. Thank you. What a woman and what a story. She is an inspiration for living your best life every day. Melanie might be dressing up every morning to go on TV, but I am so grateful that she shared her real life with us and let us all behind the scenes of someone who is doing her best to do her best at work and at home. Melanie and I both have a boy and a girl at the same ages. So I really felt every bit of the journey of working to succeed in your career, keep a happy marriage, and be present for your kids every day. Life can really ask a lot of us. But as Mel has demonstrated, when we approach it with a joyful nature and allow ourselves to embrace, celebrate, and use our gifts and talents, we can get so much back in return. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. If you did, please take just a moment out of your day to rate and review us. It will help us reach even more women with inspiring stories from fierce women all over the world. 